0: serving on a committee would not count toward your renewal. But, for example, if you serve on the Indiana CPA Society Ethics Committee, I guarantee you, you are getting a lot of education about ethics in the profession. Uh, You know, that's one that a lot of people really relate to.
1: Welcome to episode 20, and my guest today is Jennifer Briggs, who's the CEO of the Indiana CPA Society. This is a follow-up interview from our prior conversation on October 30th, 2017, around competency-based CPE. It's been a little over a year since our conversation, and I wanted to check in with Jennifer to see the progress that they have made and learn about any unforeseen challenges that they may have faced and how they handle these challenges. As a brief recap, Here are the show notes from that episode. On July 1st, 2017, the state of Indiana signed House Bill 1467 into law, which allows competency-based learning through professional development opportunities to qualify accountants for accountant certificate renewal. This all began years ago around 2010 when the Indiana Society created a board-level task force on knowledge management. Jennifer worked with the task force on competency to examine how things have changed in education and everything snowballed from there. Although the bill is passed, this is just the beginning. Jennifer is now working with a committee to create rules around the law. Nothing is finalized, but the idea is that this new system will be designed around those who actually want to learn, as opposed to those that sit in the back of the classroom just to collect their eight hours of CPE credit. Change is everywhere in our profession, technology, demographics, pricing models. It's imperative that education changes too. So there's a little bit of the background. You can find that episode on my website under Improv is No Joke podcast or on iTunes if you want to listen to it in entirety. But before we get to the interview, I wanted to share with you that my book, Taking the Number out of Numbers, was number 12 of the best books in 2018 for speakers as ranked by speakershub.com. Now, you don't have to be a professional speaker to gain value from this book. I'm currently working with sales teams, engineers, architects, and financial professionals to help to transform their presentations from data-dumping, mind-numbing, deer-in-the-headlights conversation to engaging conversations that spur action. Here's a recent Amazon review of my book by Rob Nance. Title, You Won't Have the -the Deer-in-the-Headlights Look. Anyone who ever finds themselves needing to meaningfully engage with an audience, clients, prospects, or students should soak up this book. Gaining new skills and focused insight that will help you provide exceptional customer service is welcome at any time and at any level. And Taking the Numb Out of Numbers delivers on that promise. In an easy-to-read, digestible, you'll find it thought-provoking, fun, and very worthwhile. Rob, I greatly appreciate that review. The book is available on Amazon in paperback and in Kindle, so go buy it today. Don't hesitate. Just go buy it. If you'd like to purchase 10 or more copies, please contact me at peter at petermargaritas.com for bulk discounts. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Jennifer Briggs. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, today, I've got Jennifer Briggs, who's the CEO of the Indiana CPA Society with us. And this is a follow-up from a conversation that we had back in October 30th of 2017, where Indiana had been, been moving, taking, as she said at the time, baby steps towards competency-based learning within with their membership. And first and foremost, we're recording this on... January 2nd, 2019. So, Jennifer, welcome and Happy New Year. Thanks,
0: Peter. Happy New Year to you.
1: It's glad to have you back on. And if you could give the audience a little 10,000, 15,000 view of this competency-based model, how it developed, Uh, I think it was like six, seven years ago, the idea, and how you and Gary Bollinger have evolved this over time. And then we'll move into where you are today with it, a... A little over a year, year and a half later since our conversation.
0: Sure, sure. So we began talking about uh, future issues for the profession and how what, what our members need to know and how they need to learn it way back in, in 2004 or five. And then it evolved into 2009, looking more at kind of those future issues. Um, in 2010, looking at the AICPA put out a CPA Horizons 2025 document. And so kind of using that as a basis, we we took the core competencies uh, embedded in that document and worked around them and came up with this, this concept that there's a lot that CPAs need to know and why are we still so stuck on the hours concept for continuing education And how can we in this really changing world um, with all the technology and the ways people do things, how can we uh, focus on competency versus hours and how can we let our members quote unquote count all the things they do uh, that improve their professional success, that make them better CPAs.
1: And from that, obviously a lot of, work with the Accountancy Board, with the membership. I, I believe in my notes that you, you guys put together a, uh, a competency task force. I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the right terminology to use, but a committee together to help get this moving in the right direction.
0: We did. We we wrote a, we had a task force, the uh, Future of Competency Task Force, and wrote a white paper um, about it, and then created, or that was about the time we created the CPA Center of Excellence as the kind of hub for these activities. And then, of course, that that was in 2014. And then from there, as you mentioned, uh, in 2017, we were able to pass legislation uh, that allowed for competency-based education to renew a license in Indiana.
1: And there were some... um (laughs) <laughs> tricky things about, so you got competency base, but we're still reporting in hours to the accountancy board. And I, I believe that you started with ethics. And in and, and Indiana, is it four hours needed every three years in ethics? Or is it more than that?
0: It's four hours.
1: It's four hours. So I could take it and it could take me six hours to do it. You could take it and it could take you two hours to do it. But we would get a, I think the terminology was waiver, that we completed the ethics course. And in that waiver, there is an hour component there of of four?
0: It, yes. And basically, and to clarify, I'm not sure I said this correctly, it's four hours every three years. So every renewal. And we did, we created an ethics course. We created a number of courses on different topics like leadership and strategic thinking and that kind of thing. But the ethics course was something everyone needs and was kind of easily accessible. And so we created this course. Um, it's all online, it's interactive. You have to um, actively participate in it by you know, including comments or um, replying to other people's comments. And uh, initially it did count for a waiver of four hours, but uh, now we, we, it actually, what it says is that if you take that course, that uh, meets the ethics requirement in Indiana, if that makes sense. So it's, it's moving even more toward the idea of competency-based in that we don't care how long it took you, you did this and we know it's relevant. And so that meets the ethics requirement.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah, it has evolved in that direction where no matter how long it takes you, you've completed it, and now you have met that requirement.
0: Right. Now our other courses are still uh, the waiver system. So if you complete a course that's approximately eight hours, again it could take you more (laughs) or less. uh, You get a waiver of eight hours when you edge at renewal.
1: And I... I, I, maybe I've asked this question in the past, but in these competency-based courses, what we all know is some online courses that are out there that you can take the course, the self-study online, take the course and find ways to have it completed in less time uh, and, and get the full credits for it. And not by completing all the information, by taking shortcuts or whatever. In your courses, in this competency-based model, have those shortcuts been, I don't know if you could ever say completely eliminated, but much harder to get around?
0: I I would say they are practically uh, completely eliminated in our courses, yes. Because of the platform we use and the kind of leveling system, you cannot get through it without completing, you know, It'll say if you're supposed to watch a video, let's say, mm-hmm. you can't watch that faster than the length of the video, you know, so it, right. it recognizes all of that and kind of has some timed, I don't know how you would say it, some information about the timing of the whole thing that makes it very, very hard to move to the next part of the course without having completed it.
1: So when you move to the next part of the course, is there a test involved?
0: No, there's no, no. test. Okay. Uh, only the, the part of it that makes it more interactive, though, and kind of tests, if you will, the competency gained is the, uh, you know, the the questions and commentary that, the the learners have to include. So it might, for example, there might be a case study that you read and then it would ask, you know, how, how the learner would have, you know, what they would have done in this particular part of the situation. And so there's a lot of commentary and people take it very seriously because you can, everyone else taking the course can see it. And so you can't just type, uh you know a quick response without kind of thinking about it uh additionally we do we do uh monitor the responses we don't i would say we don't read everyone but we do have a quality control where someone is making sure that all the participants have put some thought into their answers
1: okay that's uh, so that model and, and these uh um Oh, what's what I'm looking for? These things that they'll you know, keep it from people moving ahead. All those bells and whistles are still in there today. Have you enhanced them since the original launch?
0: No, I I think in fact, if anything, they work uh, too well. <laughs> so we've <laughs> one thing we're looking at is kind of breaking the courses down into parts. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think that we found the feedback we receive is that it takes almost everyone more time than the the eight hours, let's say, for the eight hour class. And so we are looking and even though even though the classes are, you know, at your at your leisure, you know, take them at your own pace. You know, a lot of CPAs, and I, I'm going to generalize here for a minute, you know, they like to complete something and like a deadline. And yes. so we <laughs> were finding that it was too long. They just felt like they it was hovering over them. And if somehow, you know, if we could break them down into shorter parts, they could, you know, complete a part, still get some... Credit, if you will, waiver for that many hours and then move on to the next part. So that's something we're working on now.
1: I can, as you're saying that, I'm trying to put myself in the, the attendees' shoes or in their seats. And if I'm doing eight hours of, of some type of leadership skill, and I, I think, yeah, I could see where that would be a challenge. We want to get to the deadline. We we love deadlines. We're in the, we're in the yeah. deadline business, uh, yeah. And, and I'll do everything I can to get to that deadline. But oh my god, yeah. I, and so you break them down into, let's say, two hour modules.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah, and and the the way we're looking at it is so that they can be taken independently or as part of the the whole. You know, so if you just do parts one, two, and three, you still have a lot of learning there.
1: Okay, so so you, you did say you get some waivers for completing portion of it. You you don't have to complete all of it to receive all that waiver. You could decide I don't want to finish this, but I do have two hours from the module that I did complete.
0: Right, that's that's what we're looking at. Yeah.
1: So when we talked last year, and I made a comment about you guys doing a great job with this. You you didn't like hit the gun go and to go sprinting off, you know like you're in a race, you, you took baby steps over time, these little baby steps. And I guess my question is, since a year or so, have these steps grown up a little bit? Are we taking a little bit longer steps or are we still going down the baby steps just to be sure?
0: You know, that's that's a great question. We're really evaluating everything around this right now. Not the concept, not not the idea of competency-based education, but Um, I don't even know whether we're two teenage steps, I would say, um, (laughs) preteen, which can sometimes be challenging, let's say, if you've ever had a preteen in your house. Um, And so we we have learned a lot along the way. We hear from members, we take that feedback. And frankly, the comfort level is something we did not really acknowledge or, or perhaps we just Maybe it seemed like we weren't moving that fast, but it it to us, but it seemed fast for a lot of our members. Just something about a waiver of hours did not feel comfortable to a lot of people. Um, you know how it is. You want to you want to be able to say, I completed what I needed to complete. So that's something we've had to look at and just overall, what is providing the most value. Um, we we passed that legislation in 2017, but right now we're still on the waiver system because it's taken all of 2018 and more. We're still working on it to work on the administrative rules that actually allow CPAs to use this competency based education. That process has been great and interesting, but but also challenging.
1: So are you still working with the uh, a subset of the accountancy board uh, with, with this language and this, these rules and stuff as you as you roll it out um, that you were doing the last time that we talked?
0: Uh, we are. <laughs> <So> <laughs> there have been some changes, you know, new board members. And so then there are questions there. Additionally, you know, it's just challenging sometimes to, you know, get it on the agenda. You know, our board of accountancy... You know, everybody's really busy and they meet and they have a lot to cover. So kind of even getting to this can be hard. And then once you start talking about it, I mean, the members of the Board of Accountancy, while supportive of the concept, obviously, by allowing the waiver program, you know, it's still a lot. There's still regulators. How can we be sure that we are protecting the public? You know, that, that everyone's getting the education that they need. So I would say we've had a few steps forward, maybe a couple of steps back, but everyone, you know, talking and working really hard on it. And I'm encouraged because, you know, you see things. I was just looking at an old, well, it's not that old, November of of last year, you know, a chair's memo from NASBA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, NASBA is talking about evaluating the need for hours for the experience requirement for licensure, um, and considering uh, other ways that candidates could meet those hours through internships or life experience. So, I mean, you're hearing more and more about the the idea that we learn in different ways, um, but actually putting that into practice is harder than you
1: know, we would like. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because we've been doing it this way for such a long period of time, change is, change is difficult. I, as you alluded to in the in the first interview, we're, we're dealing with different systems. These systems have been built over time and to make a change in a system takes integration with other systems, which is, doesn't happen overnight. No,
0: no. And <laughs> in fact, we are... We, I, am, I am proud to say, honestly, that we have created a, an advisory board uh, for the CPA Center of Excellence that includes six professionals who are, you know, from all across the country, well-versed in education and specifically competency-based education um, and learning in general. And, you know, to a person, everyone tells us that uh, we are way ahead of the game, you know, that this is hard stuff. That we have made a lot of progress, but we just have to be patient. And and a lot of the the advisory board members, you know, they work in in higher education, and you know that's a huge challenge when you think about higher ed and the credit system, credit hour system, is mm-hmm. so, tied to financial aid and that kind of thing that we really use that as an example to us of, of how if higher ed is starting to experiment here, you know, we can do it too because their barriers, I would say, are even higher when you're talking about the whole financial aid system.
1: It appears to be more layers within that higher education system, uh, even to the faculty members who are on tenure and getting buy-in from that group to, to agree to something um, such as a radical changes, competency-based based learning. And, and But not to say you guys and the accounting profession b- between old school thought that's out there and this is the way we've always done it and kind of changing that all around. I, I would imagine, well, let me say, I would imagine that some of the baby boomers were probably much more reluctant to this change versus some who are a lot younger than myself.
0: I don't know. You know, I don't have the actual statistics, but I feel like it's more uh, personality over age, to be honest. It's oh. more um, based on just what you're comfortable with doing if you if you just are one of those people and you you like to say on this date there's this class and it lasts four hours I'm gonna sit there I can check it off my list then you know you're gonna be more comfortable in a traditional setting but so we've had we've had lots of of people who really like it who frankly I would not have anticipated liking it. So
1: well yeah as you were describing that that personality type I wonder if we think about a when a typical, stereotypical accountant CPA. Very linear, you know, very, very precise. You know, loves deadlines, and as a lot of them that I know, they go, "I can't move off this line." Right. That's when I go crazy. When it's when I when I don't have that routine, or it, it just I, I just don't function very well. And I'm thinking, okay, well, competency-based learning is just the opposite of what that is.
0: I was just going to say, we find that uh, it tends to be people. Just kind of get it right away and really like the idea, or really people struggle with uh, anything that's different, which I find so interesting because it, it, it has been around a long time, the current system, but not forever. You know, I mean, only half, of, we're 104 years old almost at uh, organization, um, but, you know, CPE, the current hours system is, is only, I think, 40-something years old. So I don't know. Sometimes I, I don't understand that challenge to change. Having said that, you're talking about a CPA license, right? You're talking about a livelihood. You're talking about a profession and something that people worked really hard for. But I understand kind of not wanting to rock the boat and just do what needs to be done. But I also know how our members are learning in so many different ways. And I just wish that we could, you know, we just want to move that forward. And and I think that we are, we're trying to incorporate competency-based education into kind of everything we're doing. So we're looking at our traditional courses and sort of uh, looking at how we incorporate some competency-based education into it even though it's still going to be hours-based, if that makes sense. We, we have completely changed our leadership program, uh, particularly for young members. And, you know, it now involves a book club where they do work, you know, pre-work reading this book um, before the meetings. And then between meetings, there's an online competency-based course. Um, additionally, we're using an a online tool to assess where they are in certain areas like communication or strategic thinking, so I think we're we're understanding some of the barriers a little bit more, and still still moving forward, but also trying to make it more palatable by kind of um, feeding it into other things, if that makes sense.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, it, it does, and. and- as you were describing this over the over the past couple of weeks, we've had family and for the holidays or whatever, and and my wife says something. I need to go get the newspaper, and my son goes who's who's eighteen. Like mom, why do you read a newspaper? Nobody does that anymore. Just read it on your I- iPad, and it, they, but it also goes to different ways of learning. And and right now, and it, it's, I'm glad you guys are are um, attacking this because. It's we live in to some degree somewhat of um, a la carte world versus ordering just off the menu. And mm-hmm. people learn in different ways, and to be able to provide that opportunity that they can learn what fits them the best will only make them more successful.
0: that's I, that's what we think. that's what we believe. So just just kind of figure. And one example I I've probably used when we talked before, but I think is such a good one is something like in Indiana. And I think this is, is like this in most places. I mean, serving on a committee would not count toward your renewal. But for example, you, if you serve on the Indiana CPA Society Ethics Committee, I guarantee you, you are getting a lot of education about ethics in the profession. Uh, you know, that's one that a lot of people really relate to.
1: So does Indiana now provide continued education for those who serve on a, a committee?
0: A committee? We are, yeah, I believe, now say this is where you're catching me and my lack of detail. <laughs> so, that I, believe, I believe so. I believe that's part of the new uh, rule. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that, that I think it's also tied to um, the new legislation. And I think it might be tied to the rules, though, as far as actually using it.
1: But what a great way! I mean, think about—I I remember how much I learned serving on the board at the Ohio Society CPAs in, in the role of a chair. Uh, never really thought about getting a CPE for it, but that would have been great. I mean, just from a, from a selfish perspective of of being, say, in your shoes as a CEO, what a quite great way to get membership involved,
0: right? And and. Again, like if yes, your experience in Ohio is a perfect example. You you definitely learned along the way, and you spent a lot of hours, I'm guessing, doing it. Didn't do you think that added to your experience as
1: a professional? Oh, by far. I, I walked, I still I walked away. I think Clark Price every time I see him, because if I never had that opportunity, I would have missed out on a ton. Mm-hmm. So it just
0: seems like we should be able to find a way, and that's what we're working on, to to make that experience a part of your renewal process. Uh,
1: that, that's that's I, I, I love that idea. I, and I do want to, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but the competency rule in Indiana, it, it's an option. It's not, it, it's not mandatory. Oh,
0: thank you so much. Yes, <laughs> yes. We try to stress that. Um, It is just an option. We we know there are people who will always be uh, comfortable with, you know, I need this many hours, then they do those and they move on. That's fine. All all we're saying is that it should be an option for people who want to try something different.
1: And do you happen to have the... Um, I was trying to think if it's an option. So you've got approximate size of, of, the, of the professional membership within Indiana. Is there a percentage of, that you have of, of that membership that are attempting or trying competency-based learning versus... And has that grown over time?
0: I don't have the exact numbers here. I can tell you that it, it kind of has gone up and down, just to be honest. And one area, again... When you can make it very clear, so our ethics competency-based course does very well. We, we just uh, released a new course uh, in 2018, and that did very well. It's a big seller. But most of the other courses that are not as easy to kind of quantify what you need, mm-hmm. um, don't, don't do it well. But again, that's why I also try to focus. We have these competency-based courses, and I'm sure there are others out there, but it's more important to us that um, everyone understands that this is about what experiences you have that add to your professional expertise and how you can quote-unquote count those.
1: Yeah, yes. And I was thinking, are you still the only a CPA association in the United States that have gone down this path or have other states begun to move in the same direction?
0: I know there are some other states doing some things, in particular uh, Wisconsin. You know, they did not have a CPE requirement for license renewal. They were the only state, I believe, that, that didn't. And now as they have a rule now, they have a requirement now, they have been implementing that, um, allowing some competency-based education as part of that. I can't say I'm fully versed on that, but I know mm-hmm. our staff have been talking to them about what they're doing. Um, they're, they're equating theirs to hours, um, or at least I believe like credits, so that they can make it a little easier to understand, which is something, you know, we talk about as well. It's just hard. I'm sure. I'm sure other states. I think things like um, micro learning probably would would count in this category to some extent. And I know a lot of people are doing that.
1: Yeah, we that. I know we have that here in Ohio, and I believe it also in Maryland. But I haven't heard much about micro learning. I think in the last couple of years i I remember you were on the future of learning task force and i think it was around that time that i know ohio had implemented and i think that maryland had too but then there there was a halt put on it and they were exploring something about it uh but i know it's still there but i'm not sure if any other states have really jumped on that bandwagon
0: You know, I'm not sure. That's something we kind of didn't weren't overly interested in, to be honest, for a while. Now we we understand, you know, that's part of it. It's if you want a 10 minute increment and it it contributed to your competency, by all means, let's do it. I think we find, and I don't know about other states, we find that it's the, the same idea as our longer courses being kind of hanging over people's heads. They don't really like the concept of having to keep track of such small increments of time, even though obviously they do that in their day-to-day, a lot of them.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> you would think that they'd be able to track time. They could track CP as well. Uh, but right. uh, uh, a lot of those lines, but I also think it's part of a, a, a mentality, and maybe it's a generational one, but... I, I I wish I knew the statistics, but I know they weren't that high. In Ohio, we have our 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 monthly magazine that you can read, fill in some dots, send it in, and get an hour's worth of credit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not sure. I I, I don't, like I said, don't know the stats, but they weren't really high on the number of members that attempted it.
0: Really that's interesting i think um and see what's so what's so fun about that is so we've never done that here i know i know quite a few states do that still but when i think about it for us that would be a great example of of let's say you kind of have a plan you know here are some things i want to know more about and reading that magazine could be part of that plan of just mm-hmm. keeping up So you count that time, even though you don't have to submit a a test, if you will, or kind of anything like that. And if I can, I'll say I was just talking to a colleague the other day over break and her daughter is in sixth grade and she was and her sister and my son were uh, running around my house like maniacs (laughs) (laughs) uh, playing hide and seek. and. (laughs) She, at one point, uh, flopped down on the couch to take a break. And and she said, oh, I can count this for her PE class. Over the break, there was some incentive uh, for them. They had to track, you know, their activity. And she was trying to get four hours a week. And it didn't have to be, you know, go to the gym or... Do this many jumping jacks. If people still do jumping jacks, <laughs> but, but um, you know, she and we we both said, "Yeah, you're sweating. You should get credit for this." And I just thought, "Gosh, if we can if we can do that for sixth grade PE, we should be able to figure it out."
1: Yeah, you're right. Um, And actually, I had tested something with Maryland where we took the first five podcasts and made them NASBA compliant, and we offered it up out for SCP. And my thought was, well, for those who commute, if you listen to an episode on a daily basis by the end of the week, you've got five, and just keep adding that up. And we we tried to market it, and it's still sitting out there. But I think over the last two years, we've sold. Three, maybe. And, yeah. and the only thing that we've concluded is, one, that, well, okay, a podcast is still kind of new to a lot. And two, it's only an hour or even a half an, a half of a credit. But, uh-huh. yeah, is it worth that investment where I could, used to go sit in for eight hours. Okay, I've got my eight hours. I can move to the next. I don't know. I think yeah. it's still part of that mentality and, and maybe better understanding the product that's out there or, or, or the opportunity that's out there. But at the end of the day, it's all about learning.
0: It is, and and I would say we are in the same boat, honestly, with just people actually participating. Again, aside from the ethics, and and I don't know. I think it is. It's just about a comfort <laughs> level and what's easy. And I don't blame anyone. Listen, I don't. I don't want to add one more thing that I need to track. I'm one of those people. Like I refuse to wear one of those step tracker things. I'm like, <laughs> no, I. Need more pressure. I'm good. <laughs> but, you know, I just think there are just people who, who want to
1: know how to do it and do it. Yeah. I, 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 I'm one of those who, like, I guess it's, I don't know if it's the competition or what, but if I had, you know, 10,000 steps yesterday, how can I do 10,000 again today to help build that habit up? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> And, and I you know the other aspect of it is and, and, and I thought about this one day whether you're in business and industry whether you're in public accounting, you really only have about eight months out of the twelve where you can fully learn or or, or go through that learning process during those peak times you're learning but not in a cPE way and then when we when we're done with being busy, then we've got this, uh, there's a lot on our plates.
0: There's a lot. There's a lot. And, but again, like if you think of it this way, and and if you think about it, you're in industry and you want to take on a new project that's something you've never done before. So you're going to have to research it and talk to people and make a plan and implement. I mean, all of that's education. And that's what we're talking about. But then I'll tell you, we have a lot of people say in response to that, they say, well, you should just be doing that anyway. And CPE is on top of your regular job. You know, so it's, it is ingrained. (laughs) ingrained.
1: It's ingrained since kindergarten, I I believe. But yeah, I guess I, I love that idea. You give me something to do. I go research, work on it. I bring you a memo back. You go, okay, look at this, spend another couple hours. We put it in place and it and when we're looking at, you know, did we do it right, what did we do wrong? That all is part of continuing professional education. Right. It doesn't have right. to be cheeks in the seat. It doesn't have to be fifty people with cheeks in the seat. Oh, with right. a with 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 the lecture person up there. And and that, that's you know another piece of that in class that we we need to develop is the ability for the person who's leading the class not to think that they have to lecture but how do you have oh, a dis- how do you have a discussion
0: that's i'm so glad you said that that is something we see a little bit more of that and more kind of case study work and that kind of thing but it there needs to be a lot more i mean i don't know it, it's very challenging i, I can't even I'll, i'm just going to be honest so i don't I need hours for my credential, but it's not nearly as rigorous. And I go to conferences and there's a different topic every hour, and I still can hardly stand to sit for that long. (laughs) So so I think about members, you know, on one topic for eight hours, uh, that just that seems hard but but you know I understand because if you're going to take the day, you know, the day to do it, you want to get as many hours in as you can.
1: Right, but is it is it you can't sit that long because you just like sitting that long or I can't sit this long because it's not interesting or it's not engaging?
0: Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that's part of it. That's a big I think part of it is just my personal problem with sitting for long periods of time. <laughs> But but I guess that that is the point is I'm going to say something I maybe shouldn't. But I I really think that we as state societies are really dependent on our vendors for education. And of course, we plan it and we choose and that kind of thing. But, you know, as well as I, that. You know, there's only so many places to go to find that education because right. your, your average CPA is not going to stop what they're doing and create an eight hour course and then go deliver it to people, you know. And so we're dependent on on these vendors. And I I feel like that, that it's a slow process to kind of update the the um, education practices.
1: It is. And, and um, Chris Jenkins in South Carolina tried something. Uh, he contracted myself and another gentleman to come and do a two and a half day workshop with some folks who were delivering tax and audit uh, at conferences and try to help them or teach them how to be more engaging in that classroom. And Mm -hmm. we've done that. So I think we've put through about 14, 15 people. And the last time I had a conversation with him, he goes, their style has changed dramatically. Um, We're getting more, not saying directly from this, he's done a lot of other stuff, but again, a lot of more members attending conferences. And I think part of that to some degree has to do with, the ability to teach these folks how to become more engaging in that classroom, how to ask questions, how to get the audience involved, because, you know, whether you're sitting there for an hour or eight hours, our attention spans and something that's as complex that we have to deal with can't last that long if it's just all facts and figures the whole time. There's, there's a lot of other uh, things that you can do to make that classroom much more engaging and i think that also goes in this this model that you guys are working with is how do we make learning a lot of people think I'm, but how do you make learning fun?
0: But yeah, i'm so glad you mentioned that South Carolina and Chris. I I really want to follow up on that because you know, if if the presenters are are open to that concept I think they
1: will really enjoy it and learn a lot, and make it even better for the participants. Yeah, it's uh, and and what he did, he put myself and some another gentleman, and our teaching styles are just polar opposites. Mm-hmm. But it, it really kind of you know, and the the attendees just loved the the, the dichotomy there because I guess I guess if you think about, it, they were working with a lot of bandwidth where they could figure out where do they fit in this. Yeah. Line of you know this different you know is I'm closer to his style or his style I'm somewhere in the middle so what if I take this and this and I could build my own style where I can be more engaging. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a great <laughs>
1: idea. So, looking forward, mm-hmm. you've taken baby steps. You've, you've your ethics course is doing well. Some of the other courses I still haven't really gravitated to, but but you're still moving this forward. What do you think 19 is going to... If we get together January 2nd, God, 2020, that just scares me. (laughs) And we're having this conversation. What's the one big thing that you would say that you would want to say that this was our biggest success in 19?
0: Well, that's a really great question. I... Well, number one, we want to get these rules done. We want to get them at least starting, you know, get the rules written and starting through the administrative process, which can take a while. And that's one thing, certainly, I would love to be able to report. We've made a lot of progress on. As for most everything else, in all honesty, this is a year of review. Mm. We, Internally, and also with our board of directors at their retreat uh, in November, spent a lot of time talking about this journey that we've been on and all of the different elements involved. You're talking about the CPA learner themselves having to kind of change and adjust to the concept. You're talking about the regulatory journey. Uh, you're talking about uh, building the business of it, right? Because it costs right. money to create this stuff. And then, you know, in addition, just your basic change management ideas. So I think when we we did a really nice job, Our uh, Jess uh, Halverson-Boyer on our staff who uh, runs the Center of Excellence did a wonderful job outlining kind of the continuum of the work we've done and putting it out there so we could see, you know what, we've done a lot, but we are not where we thought we would be. And at what point do you say, you know, the plan is great, but the plan is maybe not working, (laughs) for lack of a better way to say it. So um, parts of it are, you know, parts of it are, but where do we need to kind of reboot and be willing to, you know, everybody, I think a lot of people and associations in particular, really, you know, any challenge you give them, they just want to work harder, do it better, um, do more of it, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. you you the point where you're like, we we are doing it all. <laughs> and perhaps the market is telling us something. So long, long, long answer to your to your question, but I, I think that I'm I would love to know what, what I would say this time next year, because I think we're going to have a lot of deep thinking this year, trying to figure out what's what's next.
1: The, yeah. The, the market will always tell you if you're successful or not, or if you're going down the right path, or it might be to the fact of great idea. You might be ahead of yourself just a little bit. I don't think you are, but I'm kind of biased in this because I love what you guys are doing. Well,
0: thanks. I, I I didn't think we were. I mean, you you can. I'm the first to admit. You know, when I when we we get on board with an idea, um, we work hard on it, and you can you can kind of have uh, blinders on to some extent. And now we're just taking that step back to say, okay, what what part? One thing that came up uh, quickly with our advisory board when we met with them. And and just so you know, the advisory board includes people like Donnie Shimamoto and Kelly Richmond-Pope, and then uh, Tracy King, Jeff Evans, who's an expert in this area at Purdue University, um, and Bernard Bull, who I believe has a new position at the university recently, but I don't know. Long story short, when they they first met um, and were exposed to all that we had done, and were there to give us some feedback. One thing that came out of that, the most important thing that came out of it was the idea that we are kind of trying to start a revolution (laughs) and maybe we could have done it more as an evolution. Oh (laughs) yeah. (laughs) It doesn't seem revolutionary because you know we haven't maybe taken as many steps as we anticipated. But the point was well taken in that we were asking for a lot of change, you know, a lot of change overnight. We want you to understand competency-based. We want the regulators to understand it. We want you to try new things. And, we we know, it's hard and all this stuff. And and perhaps the the things we're doing now, frankly, uh, trying to tie into other elements of what we do, the concepts of competency-based education is, is maybe something we should have spent a little more time on the front end. You know, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think we are kind of trying to learn from that and say, where are we not being successful? Where are our challenges in the change management process?
1: Yes. Uh, as What you just said made me think of um, Tesla. And the the story I keep hearing around Tesla is when Elon Musk wanted to create this car company, he didn't do what Ford and Chrysler did, uh, basically think what the customer wanted. He went out and surveyed the customer, see what they wanted, and then came back and built it. Maybe that was a little bit that was going on with the aspect of a revolution versus an evolution. Like I said, hindsight 2020, but you've learned a lot in that hindsight, that moving forward, I, I one I wish you all the luck possible because I, I I think you really you guys are really on to something. It, but I'd like the thought because I always kind of thought of it as an evolution and a I, mm-hmm. I, I, I process, but didn't really not not being, you know hearing the, converse, the those conversations, but coming at it as a revolution. Yeah, I could see where maybe there have been some. Oh, I didn't think about. It. Oh, yeah. Kind of yeah. you know, some <laughs> unexpected, unexpected situations coming up that we didn't think that would happen. But you're still moving in the right direction.
0: I believe we are. And and I think that I didn't think of it as a, a revolution either, frankly, until they, they said this. But then as I started thinking back on other conversations I've had over the years, uh, and <laughs> frankly, how much... Negativity, <laughs> we heard maybe we should <laughs> uh, have your understanding of that. I, I know one thing the future, we mentioned the Future of Learning Task Force earlier, and Todd Shapiro, CEO in Illinois, uh, used to say to me when I would talk about this sort of thing during that time, he would say, You can't just keep saying the current system isn't good, <laughs> you have to acknowledge that it's the system. And go from there. And, you know, Todd, Todd appreciates we, we give each other a hard time, but I will give him credit for this instance that he, I was excited and I was ready to move forward. And and so was all of our staff and, and members, a great group of members. But you, you have to take into account people's comfort level and help them along.
1: So well said. So well said. Well jennifer thank you so very much I, I as i've said a number of times i love what you guys are doing in indiana i i applaud what you're trying to do for the profession as a whole and, and make it better and, and leave it behind for those who come behind us in a much better shape than we ever found it I, I i wish you guys all the best and uh i will i will keep my eye on what's going on in indiana and um yeah, every now and then I hope you don't mind if I just pick up the phone and go, so how's it going today? <laughs> and just check in because I am fascinated by this and the journey that you guys are on. I applaud you. A lot of folks in the profession applaud you guys for what you're doing. And once again, I wish you guys the best of luck.
0: Thank you so much. You call anytime. I very much appreciate your interest and uh, and encouragement. <laughs>
1: Thank you. You're welcome. I want to thank Jennifer for taking time out of her schedule to be a guest on my podcast again. I've made a note to check back with Jennifer around year end to get an update on their progress. And congratulations on the progress that you have made. And I wish you all the luck on the progress forthcoming in this current year, 2019 and beyond. In episode 21, which airs on February 4th, I interview Bryce Welker, CPA, who is the founder of Crush the Exam, Crush Empire, and Crush Offers. You'll know that Bryce will crush his interview. Thanks again for listening, and please share this episode with a friend.